2: welcome to wood talk for woodworkers by
0: woodworkers now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool mark matt and shannon
2: all right it's wood talk number 158 for november 25th i'm double checking as i'm doing this 2013
3: (laughs) Do you know how many documents I signed out today? Is the twenty eighth? Because I kept
2: thinking Friday was the twenty fifth. Whoops! All right. Well, on today's show, we're talking about drifting table saw cuts, proper rasp use, old clogging chip breakers, prepping a bandsaw for a move, proper dust mask usage, and is sanding truly necessary for hand tool users? But before we get to all that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. I'm so unprepared. Hold on a second. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hold on, living. Brought to you by
2: Unprepared I'm not
3: familiar with that company
2: Yep, here we go, boom Today's show is supported by Festool Helping woodworkers get better results in less time And with less mess to clean up afterwards Visit them online at festoolusa.com I just had some finish that's not cooperating with me today And I'm, my brain's all discombobulated So um, You're not
3: supposed to drink the finish You're supposed to apply it to a <laughs> yeah, piece
2: I've been breathing a little too much in uh, all right, well, let's get to what's on the bench. For me, I'll go real fast, uh, this weekend we had an incredibly awesome barbecue. Um, you may have seen me mention this on uh, the social stuff. I had the, basically like a book release party just kind of to say thank you to anyone who was local and, and willing to stop by. So I cooked some ribs and we had burgers and hot dogs and chicken and a bunch of like there was cookies and cake Oh yeah, I saw uh, Matteo apparently discovered cookies. Was
3: this his first? Because uh, he looked like he was going to inhale that thing. <laughs> you
2: know, let me tell you, the kid is weird. He took a bite of it and threw it down. He, he's what? not. He is not into. He, he has had two birthdays and has yet to touch his cake. So I don't know what his deal is. But you know what? He's got his whole life to enjoy sweets, and I figure if he you know misses out on the first few years, it's probably not a bad thing. You know, what about if you barbecue
1: a- though. Is he good with barbecue? Ah,
2: uh, no, no, no. The only meat he really uh, will ingest is like. You know, dino dinosaur, chicken finger things. Yes. <laughs> sure. This is this is your kid. I, mean, I know Nicole travels a lot.
0: Yeah, I don't know and, and
2: blonde hair, like vegetarian tendencies. I don't know. I don't know. Seriously. Well, everybody
3: wants to be the opposite of their parents. He's just starting really, really. Yeah, early. he's
2: rebelling early. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Out so of system now. So this event was fantastic. It was just a lot of fun. I don't often get to hang out with local woodworkers or local fans of the show, and this was a, a little scary for me to have that many people. In my shop at once, but ultimately, it was great to just kind of hang out with everybody, get to know them better, and um, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. You
1: know, I had it just somebody crystallized at, to me. Sorry, Matt, it just crystallized no, guys, to me how damn big your shop is and how
3: much. Yeah,
2: <laughs>
1: there you go. That's where I was going. <laughs> sorry, Matt, didn't mean to steal
3: your
2: thunder. Go ahead, lay it on. I can't believe how big your shop is. Oh, I've never heard that before. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was actually, uh, it was actually pretty. Pretty easy, surprisingly easy to accommodate the group of people. What we did was move the MFT and the, the festival router table that basically sit up in the front there, moved that into the back, cleared out the space, used the the Ruba workbench as kind of like a buffet table, <laughs> which was awesome. Yeah. Which it should be. Uh, right. And, uh, which is pretty
1: much what happens to most old workbenches eventually is they end up in a pottery <laughs> yeah. barn somewhere as a wine <laughs> rack. or Right, Exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, just using it ahead of time is that uh, the assembly table became a place for people to sit, brought in some extra tables and chairs, and it worked out really well. Um, so, Nicole's uh, party planning uh, prowess apparently <laughs> was in full effect. It was really, uh, really a lot of fun. So, you guys missed out.
1: Next thing we're going to hear, you know, that the, you know, the Wood Whisperer is sponsored by Powermatic. Now it's going to say this was filmed in front of a live studio audience.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's going to be
1: like chairs in the corner (laughs) and like canned laughter and everything. Oh, that would be great. Uh, But that was it for me. So Matt, how about you? Uh, Well, the big thing for me, and there's not really too
3: much to it, I'm... As usual, I'm blowing my deadlines right out of the water in the Mm -hmm. sense that uh, I keep pushing them further and further back. So I blow them out of the water. They go flying way, way back further than (laughs) normal. So my goal was to have Aiden's bed completely built and uh, stained and whatever else we're going to do to it uh, done by Thanksgiving. Well, I'm thinking that's going to be Thanksgiving 2015 at this (laughs) rate. Nice. Although... I I did manage to finally take the uh, sub-assembly pieces, which would be the box, and then what I lovingly called the undercarriage, and put them together so that they're now assembled at least, and I can put them as one big group out of the way. And it's amazing how even though it's kind of a, a larger assembly, it's still having all those pieces in one spot takes up less space than when they're scattered all over. So I'm pretty excited about that, but that's... That's the excitement that I had this week, and I, I really had some joy with that. I was like all smiles and g- giggles and everything else. Cool. So that's it. Now, Shannon, we, we really need to talk about this. You, I see you're taking on a new job. You're, you're nurse, Shannon, now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I
1: am. So interestingly enough, while we were recording last week, <clears throat> right when we were wrapping up, like after we'd stopped recording and it was just the three of us kind of saying, you know, all right, cool. This Wasn't is that a going sucky on. show? Yeah. yeah, and uh, <laughs> th- that part, the after show banter I heard this kind of crash slash thump from downstairs And uh, that was my wife tripping and falling on the stairs oh. <laughs> So uh, we, uh, I, I basically you know, hung up Skype, went down What was that noise to find her lying on the floor writhing in pain? Oh man And uh, man. we had to take her over to a patient first And they uh, said she broke her fibula and actually, just, just tonight, we just got back from the doctor to determine that actually wasn't a break, but instead a tear. So, yay, even more exciting. Jeez. So, yeah, she's been laid up um, since last, whatever that was, sometime last week. And um, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I, I I was basically seeing to her and making sure she was good and all that. And, you know, I, I went down into the shop a couple times and just – kind of felt guilty (laughs) about going and working (laughs) in the shop while she was stuck upstairs, unable to go (laughs) anywhere. Our house is a split level, so you can't really do much without doing stairs in our mm-hmm. house. She can't even get in the house without doing stairs, at least six of them. Well, so, you know, um, the,
3: th- the problem is with your hand tools, you can't use the excuse that you can't hear her because the dust collector's on if she <laughs> was right. yelling for some help.
1: <laughs> well, the, the, that's the other thing is I actually, uh, you don't hear me say that much anymore. Hand tools are great because they don't make much noise because the, my shop is directly underneath our master bedroom. So you can hear every whack of a mallet on a chisel. <laughs> and when one person is trying to sleep, hand tools are not that quiet. <laughs> I don't care what you say. Wow. Hand sawing and, and thumping on chisels, even if you're just carving, makes noise when you're directly beneath the bed where someone is trying to sleep. So, yeah, I, I've done absolutely nothing. <laughs> and uh, I'm in the, uh, the way, way behind camp that Matt is thoroughly uh, ensconced in right now. So nice. I'm with you always fun. So I, you know, Thanksgiving's coming. I'm going to I only got two more days of work this week and then I'm I'm off. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait.
2: Cool. And the and uh, course, the moral the moral to the story here is when you hear a thud inside your house don't ignore it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it might it might just be Unless your wife you're the one making it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It might it might just be your wife falling down the steps. <laughs> well, you know the the really bad thing. It was only about 30 seconds before I
3: went and checked. (laughs) I was going to say, the the really bad thing about it is when you sent that email, I said something to Samantha about it. And we both kind of looked at each other and started laughing, not about your situation. We were very sympathetic (laughs) to your situation. But several years ago at a certain Thanksgiving... Her mother fell down some stairs and we could hear I, heard, I kept hearing her say, like, you know, Sam, come and help me, Sam. And I said, Sam, I think your mom needs some help. She goes, no, she just she's trying to rope me into cooking something and I don't want to do it. So we laid <laughs> in bed awesome. for another 45 minutes before she finally was like, what do you need?
2: Oh, my God. Oh, no, that's terrible. <laughs> you guys are awful, awful people. Yeah, we'll we never we ever sim- hear the end of that either.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, thankfully the painkillers helped to you know dull her memory of it, so we're okay.
2: <laughs> oh man, that's great. Nice. All right, well, let's move into what's new, Matt. If you want to run through those real quick,
3: sure. You know, well, Shannon, you were so hyped about this first one. Why don't you take it? I don't oh, want
1: to. I don't want to see your glory on this one. Fine. Archie sent in a, a link to a YouTube video uh, from ESP Guitars. It's called "Making uh, the Making of Ghost Soldier." It's a custom shop guitar. Sounds and, like a video uh, game. I think it's based Doesn't off it? the video game, actually. Is Clancy's, isn't it Clancy? No, that's Ghost. Well, whatever. Ghost um, it looks a lot like a video game. Um, this is a, a flying, they used to call him a flying Y guitar, I think. Why? Back in the 80s. The, the Y pattern guitar with like oh. the fixed frets and the string and everything. They gave it to Bill and Ted at the end of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure that are there. That should cover the whole audience. Is a flying are V? They, Do you mean a
2: flying V or is there actually a flying Y? It's a flying V. I think it was
1: a flying V. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. It looks like a Y though with the neck. But anyway, this is, um, it, it's a lot of carving um, and just incredible finish work. And, uh, as I was saying before the show started, this takes me back to like my Warhammer 40,000 days of painting miniatures because it's like, <laughs> it's crazy detailed. Um, and there's some cool woodworking in there. Just how he makes the barrels of the rifles that are crossed on the, uh, on the guitar and uh some pretty uh pretty nice metal accompaniment that goes with it yeah, so yeah
2: there is well and you know not only is the woodworking impressive but the like watching the the painting detail that you just mentioned that really is what brings this thing to life and there's oh, almo- yeah. almost as much time spent on that as there is the woodworking aspects mm-hmm. so yeah because yeah. i think it, um i it didn't
1: look real close but it's something like maple is what it's made out of yeah um it's it's whatever it is It's a diffuse porous closed pore wood so you know who knows um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to watch it. Well, definitely.
3: Done. Sweet. Well, I, Hey, we had another one that came in from Dave. Have you guys seen this one yet? The float levitating table. I watched it. Yeah. I, I like the website. that said, dude, I want that.com. <laughs> and I am just going to say, dude, I want that. The only thing I see, I have a problem with this is we, we as vandalists tend to eat a lot of our meals at, uh, coffee tables and stuff. And this thing just doesn't look like it has enough Stability? Yeah. <laughs> to uh keep my plate from falling. And my plates are never light. So you know,
2: and I was li- like, it's it's an interesting table design. And I don't know that to me, floating levitating table doesn't even sound like an apt description for what it does. It's like it's like a big cube made of smaller cubes, almost like a like a Rubik's cube where the parts have gone apart from one another and they're held together with springs. Right. So it's not, it doesn't strike me as a floating levitating table so much as like a spring-loaded Rubik's Cube table, which is well, a terrible it, name. But it,
3: It's uh, magnets. You know, they're they're pushing each other apart,
2: but yeah, it does it exactly
3: is? that. And it's just like...
2: Well, then that hmm. explains why they called it that. I didn't read it. I just thought it was okay. like spring-loaded. So that's all well, magnets holding that together? Well, they have wires
3: to actually help keep keep its form, but yeah, it's the reason why they're all separated is they're magnets that are, are separating each other.
1: Okay, I'm shutting so up, say, up now. If that were just s- magnets, you just like take a little push until the poles <laughs> like get slightly out of sync and then it, it explodes. Okay, like,
3: I'm i
2: I'm, I'm much more impressed now then.
3: Oh, well, it's one of those things. I don't know if you want to put your, maybe your computer on top of that. Cause I imagine those magnets are pretty powerful. if That's still an issue for computers. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, <laughs> right. I don't know. You want to take a chance on
3: that, but yeah. So, but anyways though, so there was that one that again, that came in from Dave. Another one was Eric and he says the lines between hand and machine, uh, machine made are blurred even further. And now this is the one that, uh, a while ago, we saw the like kind of CNC sort of router that would help kind of uh, adjust to uh, the 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 pattern that you want to follow. This happens to be a uh, it reminds me of a a, a Dremel from twenty one fifty five. And you punch in the uh, the three dimensional project that you want to build, and as you start to move around the block of wood or whatever you're doing, you can carve whatever shape you put into that that project. And the little bit will actually sense where you are in relation to that plan and stop cutting at a certain depth or uh, you know the certain length or something you're going to. So essentially, what it is, it's carving for absolute morons.
2: <laughs> do you nice. what, what do you think i mean it's technologically absolutely amazing it's like yes. th- the tech behind this just blows my mind but what it feels like it reduces me to is a mechanical arm like i'm the dummy who just moves the thing but the actual thinking is being done by a computer um, that's exactly what it is <laughs> yeah and, and and i i like i said and if you watch it when they're, when they're talking about their motives behind doing it you could see that they're not You know, under any illusions about what this is that they're creating here. But technologically, I think it's absolutely awesome.
3: Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of when I was little, there were these great machines that were these cool machines at like uh, Disney World or some weird garden place we went to where you put like a quarter in and it makes uh, a statue out of plastic. And you watch it like move the plastic around and it's like, Waha, wow, there it is. There's the statue. It, to me, that's the same thing. It's like it takes all the fun out of it. I wanted my grandfather to make the statue out of plastic and he just kept <laughs> feeding me quarters. So,
2: you know, it reminds me of when you when you hear someone who carves like someone who will carve a shape or or something really substantial out of a block of wood um I've heard people say that it's like they they see the image in there, and all they're doing is removing the wood that doesn't fit the image and right, right. and that this sounds i mean what it's doing is exactly what that process sounds like for those who are uh blessed with the gift to see that image in the first <laughs> place. It's just the computer is doing the the artistry that normally is in that person's head, kind of cool,
3: yeah, definitely. Yeah, I am, def- I am not one of those people that has that ability to do anything like that. I <laughs> see a piece of wood at the end of the story.
2: Looks like a piece of wood to me. Yeah, that, see, it wants to be I a just, piece of wood.
1: I see an accident waiting to happen. <clears throat> Has anybody ever seen Terminator? I mean, I'm just waiting for Skynet to take control of this thing, and
2: suddenly <laughs> it decides
1: that your face needs to be carved.
3: You, know? <laughs> you can't
2: just, even touch the wood. It's going to your face.
3: Oh, no. great. The end of humanity comes around because of a woodworker that was a little over ambitious. Yeah. Wonderful. We, uh, that's all yeah. we need now. I, I expect the knitters to be the reason that the world ended. <laughs> so, but anyway, so this last one came in from our good friend Tom Buell, and he said – Tired and so done is the artist versus craftsperson label wars. It's time to learn a new meaning to a common word, which we thought we understood. Turn back the clock for totally unnecessary but fun diversion, thanks to Peter Follensby and his visitor from Germany. And so this is a link over to Peter Falins- uh blog, and the title is What shall we Shall We Call It By a Name?, I hope that's right. <laughs> I hope All I know so is when I punch in the, the uh, this URL, it does take us to the actual post itself. And again, just like Tom was describing in there, it is very much kind of like a vocabulary lesson, and the old you know, it's it's almost like it, it just it reminds me of that constant thing. Like I'm, I'm not a mailman. I'm a male person. Or vice versa, but it's the craftsperson versus artist. It's uh, one of those
2: silly debates that seems to only happen online.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> I want to see it happen in the real world. They need to have a roundtable at the next Woodworking America on that.
2: <laughs> there you go. All right, let's move into our kickback segment. And I should have a voicemail here somewhere. Where is it? Skype call. It is a voicemail kickback-ish kind of thing from Jonathan. What? Yeah.
1: Hi, this is Jonathan Szczepanski. I'm calling about the uh, technique that Shannon was uh, talking about the other day of cutting a half-line dovetail. You take a card scraper and sort of smash it down the uh, curve of the saw cut. Uh, There's a video of it by Tay Freed, P-A-G-E, F-R-I-D, in his uh, teaching woodworking set. And uh, that's the first time I ever saw that technique. So there you go.
2: Cool. Good to know. I wonder if there's anything You know what's funny is I've gotten like 20 emails. <laughs> and
1: about that? Like not one of them is pointed at the same place. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> there's a lot that of resources. Apparently technique is quite well known. <laughs> nice. It's all over the place. There's actually one on the Lee Nielsen YouTube channel as well. So oh, yeah. there you go. I don't
2: know where I saw it. Cool. All right. Next one we have here is from Ross. He says, "I just listened to episode 157, where you discuss the food safeness of shellac thinned with denatured alcohol. At one point, Shannon asked why one would want to thin zinser seal coat even further. So I thought I would share why I do it. Seal coat, as you noted, is a two pound cut that is still a bit thick for doing wipe on applications. I prefer to cut mine fifty percent with DNA, denatured alcohol, and rub it into the wood with a rolled up <laughs> T shirt rag. <laughs>
1: just mixing some blood into that." Mm. Mm dna
2: mm-hmm. all right this allows, that's okay because my, my brain was going in a different direction with uh, the it's always mine sorry all right, me and Matt are on the same page <laughs> okay i just okay de- now i'm there Great. i was just deciding whether or not i should even say anything uh but all right this allows the shellac to really soak into the wood fibers and lets me build several layers of shellac before they begin to appear as a film on top of the wood the result is a very smooth and hard surface that still retains a very natural appearance because shellac dries so quickly, I can usually apply one coat after another without any delay between. Also runs and drips are near non-existent with this method. If protection from alcohol is desired, a final top coat protection from okay, from alcohol, got it. A final top coat of wipe-on poly does the trick. Cool. That's nice. I just
3: run around telling people you are not allowed to drink near that. <laughs> yeah, take your drink outside with the other drunks.
2: You know uh, what's his name? Uh, VJ Velji. Remember that uh, the shellac dude. Yeah, yeah. The shellac guy. In his video, now this is seal coat, so this is manufactured, processed stuff. This is probably not going to be of the same quality level of mixing your own uh, shellac from good, fresh flakes. Um, but the stuff he sells, he claims will withstand like whiskey spills and really like hard liquor on them. And he actually does a demo in his DVD that shows that he makes a little ring with clay and just pulls uh, some, some alcohol in there and there's like no damage to the surface at all. I was really impressed. I've never heard of that before.
3: What the heck kind of bugs does that come from?
2: Serious (laughs) lack bugs with some, with some stuff going on.
3: yeah, lack bugs that maybe need to attend a program.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, um, that it was just cool because he was kind of like going in, in, in the flying in the face of all the like traditional thought process behind why you should never use shellac on a tabletop or something like that um, to see that like a good quality shellac finish might be able to withstand an alcohol spill is kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. Shannon, nice. you're up. Good
1: to know. Yeah. Uh, where am I here? Okay. This is uh, from Randall Mack. And he says, in reference to the Wood River chisel discussion in episode 157, these uh, Wood River chisels have a factory grind angle of 25 degrees. So, I plan on increasing them to 30 and giving it a try. I'll follow up with the grind angle change results. These are not the same Wood River chisels as the current offering. They were they were special. <laughs> uh, eight with a tool roll for $49. Good Lord. That's a deal that right awesome? there. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was when, uh, when they first came out at Woodcraft, they look similar, but not the same as the current. And I do remember there's been some changes. I don't even know. I think they're on like version four now, same thing with the planes and the chisels. So I don't know if there's, there's been real measured changes to the steel since then. But, uh, yeah, it it is interesting because a lot of these things come grind at 25 degrees and, um, you know, I don't, Most of my chisels are ground at 25 degrees. I put the steeper part into the actual micro bevel or secondary bevel, whatever you want to call it, however you want to do it. um, I do think that if you're going to be chopping with them, 25 degrees is a bit low. So good luck with that. Let us know how it goes. Sweet. All right. This next one comes in from Brian, and he says, Hey, in
3: Wood Talk 157, a suggestion was made that when attaching the base of a table to the top, the base can pull a cup out of the top. This may not work if the mass of the top outweighs the legs and base. Last year, I built a trestle table and used a two-inch thick slab of maple as the top. After the table sat in my client's home for a month, the top cupped over a half inch across the diagonal. The movement of the top was strong enough to lift the opposing legs off the ground, causing the table to rock considerably. I would consider it then to be um, a a cradle.
2: Yes. (laughs) Congratulations. I hope you're having a baby soon.
3: <laughs> so, well, yeah, well, that's, that, you know, that's, it is funny that he says that because I was thinking, uh, not the tabletop that I have, but oh, that was when I was looking at it, I was thinking, there is no way in the world that would almost be, you'd have to attach the base of the table to the floor mm-hmm. to pull that cup out.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously, with a thicker top, you're talking about a heck of a lot more strength than like your average three quarter inch top. Right. Um, but even then, depending on the structure of the base, I imagine a really strong bow or warping could, uh, knock the base out of, uh, you know, out of alignment so that you have like a wobble going on there. So.
3: Sure, good times.
2: Coo, coo. It
3: helps out the family when they're playing marbles.
2: <laughs> right. Okay, let's move into our email. And I got one here from Paul Big Bullets. Just I sounds, don't want to know how he got that nickname. It just sounds like a great name. <laughs> uh, that's a, Old Paul Big Bullets. <laughs> sounds like a mobster. Uh, okay, I have an issue when cutting large pieces of plywood. I'll start fine with uh, by stepping back so, this is difficult to read. A few feedback, a feet back maybe he means <laughs> from the table saw and feeding the piece into the blade while pushing up against the rip fence. But I start to get near the end of the cut, and okay, how about this? Toward the end of the cut, what he's finding is that on longer pieces, it wants to drift away from the blade. Okay, okay, how's that? So that sounds good <laughs> behind the behind the blade. Yeah, so works. after like toward okay. the end of the cut. Uh, now first of all, this happens to me all the time and it's something that I found uh, for me personally, there may be other reasons for it, but for me personally, the issue was when I was using a push stick or a push shoe something, I, if I have my push shoe too close to the fence, I tend to... Push the workpiece away from the fence at the very end of the cut, kind of skewing it a little bit. Um, and it's kind of with a longer piece like that, it's a little harder to control. So uh, he mentions having an outfeed table. That's a good idea no matter what. If you've got outfeed support, you have a lot, uh, a lot of that weight is taken off and there's less pressure. So that could be a factor, certainly, but you want to do that anyway. Um, but ultimately I find that if I have my push stick positioned a little bit, I, like divide the workpiece in halves and just say, have the push stick on the left half, uh, just to the, to the left of the halfway point, um, I tend to find that my pressure is a little bit more equalized and I can kind of push with my hand toward the fence and I can keep it going in what effectively is a straight line. Okay. but I offset see? my hand a little bit as I apply my pressure. It seems to work better for me.
3: So uh, is what you're describing,
2: you will almost kind of put out like a micro diagonal? Is that S- kind of? Well, sort of with, with the position of a lot of this, like if you were to look at what I'm doing, you might not necessarily see what's actually happening, but if you're pushing the piece through, think of a long, narrow work piece, you're pushing it through the blade. If you're on the right side of center and pushing forward, it's almost inevitable with support on the right and no support on the left that long work piece is going to start to kick left a little bit um, as right. you're pushing it forward. So that's why I kind of counteract that by having my my uh, push stick just left of the center point, and it seems to help me push that piece and keep it pushed into the fence as I push through the cut. Right. Okay. So would you it. say that that it's about a twelve degree vector then towards <laughs> the fence? I would say I'm about five degrees off center. Pushing okay. into the fence.
3: I just figured you're both <laughs> off kilter on this one, so uh, well,
1: no. But I that actually, makes sense. believe it or not, I, I actually have something to say about this. I'm it's not crazy. done talking, but go ahead. Oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, what? I you might. Into this issue all the time in my cheap uh, Delta. Well, it wasn't cheap, but my contractor saw, mm-hmm. and I actually made a, a a super long push stick. It took a two by four, and uh, I think it was thirty six inches long, and I cut wow you know, the little the little notch in it, well, I guess you'd call it the little overhanging piece that would hook behind the board. Yeah, at the back end. So, I had probably a full, you know, 35 inches that would push down and hold it against the against the warp. Mm. I glued another 2x4 on top of that so it was really extra wide and kind of cut a little curve into it so it was comfortable to hold. So, when I, I held it at the back where it hooked over the edge, that long piece, like, put quite a bit of pressure down on the board and it would allow me to kind of Keep it up against the fence all the way through that cut. Now, obviously, on like an eight foot long cut, you may still have that problem. But I was able to essentially reach all the way to the back of my table saw table with my push stick, mm-hmm. and that solved the problem.
2: It Which is it cool. Al- you know, it also sounds like if you were if the push stick itself is wider and you've got a larger reference point with that hook in the back, that that would also uh, support yeah, it probably. a little bit better. Um, I was just
3: gonna say because like I think of those. Uh, I'm gonna interrupt you also on this one. I was just do. thinking of those new grip blocks from uh, um, MicroJig. Uh, jig. Right? yeah, I, I like those because yeah, you've got that nice wide surface. If if your cut is big enough to do that, or you don't yeah. mind sacrificing one. <laughs>
2: right, right. Um, the last thing I'd mention is if the you know, and this I kind of think this. I hope his saw is calibrated and the fence is straight. But if the fence is uh, sort of canted away from the blade too much. As he's pushing through, the blade wants to keep cutting straight, but the fence is going away from the workpiece, and it may give the appearance of the piece pulling away from the fence when, in fact, it's the fence that's not quite in alignment with the blade. So, of course, before any of this stuff, make sure your fence is fully calibrated and it's nice and parallel with your blade. Uh, and then, you know, think about these push stick ideas that we were just talking about.
1: Yeah, whatever you do, don't put a featherboard behind the blade.
2: <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> that too. Alright, uh, who's up next?
1: Matt? That
3: would be me. And this, call, this, this call, this email comes <laughs> in from Jake. I hope this isn't Jake from 16 Candles. My wife and my daughter have been watching a lot of that, and I, every time I hear Jake, all I can think of is that tasty bohunk. Uh, anyways, though, <laughs> so, so Jake says, some people say that you should only contact the wood on the cutting stroke and dragging back the rasp will dull the tool. Watching Mark, it appears that he maintains contact with the wood throughout. Is this one of those things that is technically true but practically doesn't matter? Or is it just Mark thumbing his nose at woodworking folklore?
2: Mark- hey, get off my back, would you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it is definitely a do as I say, not as I do, buddy.
2: <laughs> uh, well, I found this interesting that you took this one, so I'm I'm, I'm waiting to hear your answer.
1: I just think it's funny because this has been sitting in the show notes for like a month now. And I think both Matt and I have just been waiting for Mark to grab (laughs) it and drop
2: (laughs) it in. I haven't seen it. I haven't noticed it.
1: (laughs) I
0: I
3: did almost think about like sending it as a special message. Just like you have to open this. Why do I
2: feel like (laughs) I have two here for the price of one? What's going on? (laughs)
3: So, well, first of all, I will say that when it, when it comes to the proper cutting action of a rasp, it is true that it should only be done. Well, you only will get the, the cutting action on the push stroke, and the, according to all of the uh, information that you see out there, supposedly it will, it will, it will dull as you pull it back. If you don't just simply lift it up and, and pull it backwards, I have such a hard time with that believing that it will absolutely dull it to the point where it is completely, you know, useless. To me, it's the same thing as you got to lift up your hand plane when you come back. If you just simply pull it backwards, you're going to dull the blade.
2: I have a hard time with
3: that one, too.
2: Yeah, honestly, I feel it's almost the same exact thing. Um, and and I I completely agree, you know, that if you drag it on the way back, it probably, over time... Um, especially if you work really dense hardwoods, you're probably going to wind up uh, a little bit faster. You're going to make the dulling process happen quicker. But when I'm pulling back on that backstroke, just by nature of the way I'm holding the tool, in the same way you do with a a hand plane, if you're working very quickly, you're pulling back, but you're also pulling a little bit up. So it's really just gliding on the surface and it's not really making a whole lot of contact. So when I'm really getting down the business, getting down to business, and (laughs) I'm going at it, I don't know, like it would slow me down so much to have to only touch on the push stroke, pull it back, set it back down, and go again. Because each time I bring that tool back, it's like gonna take two or three times as long as if I just did nice steady motions and every time I'm pulling back, the natural uh, motion pulls the weight up. So I'm curious to hear from Shannon because if you're really, I mean, let's say you're going at a a board, you really need to, uh, to remove a lot of stock you're really not taking perfect deliberate strokes and pulling it back, lifting it up, dropping it down and going again. So, what's your perspective from from hand plane use? Do you do you see a major reason to do this? Well, I I will agree with you Mark and say I see no difference. Um other than you
1: can resharpen a hand plane. True, you know? yeah. Before the kickback comes in, I will say that. Right. You know, it's re- yeah, and technically you can resharpen a rasp too, but you're talking about different methods and re-etching it and all that fun stuff.
2: I can't resharpen a rasp. <laughs> Someone it's, might be able to.
1: dump it in vinegar and that yeah. will – basically eat away the metal. Right. Right. I do this, uh, hello, Highland Woodworking, can you send me a number? <laughs> I'd
2: like another RASP, please. <laughs>
1: yeah, send me another one. Well, I think, and and I don't do this either, and I think especially with RASP, because, you know, RASP is a shaping tool, I find that if I have to like, disconnect from the work and mm-hmm. kind of pull it back, I don't get as consistent a line. Yeah. You know, you what catch. I'm trying to do in shaping looks like. I took separate passes instead of blending my passes together,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and and you know you can come back and fix that. But if you're you know working a curve or something like that, uh, I, I no I can't do that. Um, I think where this really makes a difference is on metal, um, and I'm wondering if that's where this um, kind of dogma came from. Yeah, is you know if you're using a file and metal, obviously if you're dragging it back across the metal, um, it's going to cause more problems than wood, because wood obviously forgives more. And um, I hear this from saw sharpeners all the time. Don't drag your file back. Um, For me, I don't do that because it makes a god-awful noise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, even then, I'm dragging it ever so lightly because I don't want to lose my position on the saw plate because I'm dealing with a, you know, 18 points per inch, tiny little teeth on my saw. And if I remove the file, I can't... I forget where I was. Yeah. I can't see where I was. It's it's the same thing with a rasp, you know, that you need that kind of contact and it's very light contact, but um it kind of lack of a better term saves your place so you can make a consistent shape while you're uh while you're rasping.
2: Yeah, I honestly when I think about the motion that I go through especially if I'm doing something that's a little more free form and I'm trying to watch what's going on and really feel uh, the grain as I'm pushing, it it would completely not just physically but sort of mentally disconnect me from the work to have to stop and pull the the rasp back like that I just can't see it working so I don't know the people who give this feedback I'd love to hear from you is this something you do do you find this to be effective and are we just crazy that that we're not doing it well, that's that's one of my thoughts is like if – because I know
3: for, – for, I, I was just doing this this weekend on, on one of the, the sub-assembly projects where I ended up breaking out uh, like my, my courses Rasp. And I noticed that when – and I, I was thinking about this because of this question. When I actually did the whole thing, like really paid attention to the point where I'm lifting it up off of there, I felt like when I came back down and reconnected, my cut was either – way more aggressive or more light than it should be i mean it's not like the rasp is this like really uh this tool that's gonna get, you can like remove one thousandths of an inch every single pass kind of a thing i think it, it varies obviously by hand pressure mm-hmm. but it really seems to me like if you are doing that thing where you're coming up and then you have to reconnect you could easily start taking way more material away depending on the aggressiveness of of the raft, but just where it seems like if you just lightly pull back, you're still keeping in contact, and somehow that pressure can be
1: maintained, so you're putting the same amount of pressure on each pass.
2: Yeah,
1: right. Well, you know, that that brings up a point in thinking about this. um, If I'm using a finer tool, like a file, or or even for that matter, a smoothing plane, where I'm trying to get a finished surface, my shaping is already done and I'm cleaning up the surface, mm -hmm. I will make make a pass and kind of lift up and and bring it back because I'm looking at, you know, my results between passes. Sure. Do I need to do another pass there? Do I need to do one there? Where do I apply my pressure during that next cut? And that comes from actually looking at what the file just did. So... Um, you know, I I suppose the technique would change there, but that has nothing to do with dulling the tool. It has to do with
3: what does it look like when I just made that
2: pass. Exactly. Yeah.
3: So the the, the last thing to think about this is, uh, folks, if you if if just like Jake, you're watching the video, listen carefully and see if you can hear Mark just screech on that back pole. <laughs> <laughs> then you know it's making contact. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm going to give Mark the benefit of the doubt and say that he is doing a micro lift.
2: It is. It is. Ooh. It is making contact. You will hear it, but it's not actually, you know what I mean? You you know yep. what I mean.
3: Stop I know what you mean. Don't, I, don't bust I, I my balls, man. I got your brother. Don't worry about it. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> all right, Shannon, you're up. All right. Well, Dusty says he he's actually been quite lucky. He's inherited quite a few tools from his family, and he's working on getting all these old hand tools in working order, but he's running into a bit of an issue with the chip breakers and some of the old planes. He says he just got a nice old Bailey five and a half. That was his great, great grandfather. So that's cool. And it's working nicely, except the chip breaker keeps clogging. I've tried flattening the end of the chip breaker, which worked for a while, but then it gets gets clogged again. Do we have any tips or tricks for keeping these nice and straight and flat? Well, um, there's a couple of things here. First of all, those you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a Bailey 5.5, so I kind of have an idea what we're talking about here. They're not, there's not a whole lot of changes in those models, but there'll be subtle ones from year to year. Those, those chip breakers, first of all, aren't really flat. They have a little curve right at the tip um, that, when you tighten the screw down to the blade, it's meant to push that really, really tight. So, uh, you know, if if you've already flattened that and you're still getting things clogging up, you might think about putting a slight uh, bevel on that uh, on that chip breaker so it's beveled away from the from the end. So you're you're making sure that that tip is making firm contact with the blade, but. I'd be willing to bet if you've done some flattening. I'd be willing to bet it's not so much that it's out of flat; it's that it's flexing. Um, if it's a if it's an old plane, and this is coming from a great great grandfather, the chip breaker itself could be really really thin and could be flexing, and it could just be tired and it's flexing now, or the iron itself could be flexing. The fact that it works for a little while and then it starts getting clogged later tells me that you're probably okay but it's you know you're making maybe subsequent passes and the iron is vibrating a little bit on you it's flexing a little on you it may be an issue of just you need to you know swap it out with a modern iron which i think most people would agree is kind of a good thing to do with restoring an old plane it also could be that you don't have proper support on the frog underneath the iron so you're getting a little bit of vibration you're allowing room for flex in there um The other thing is try tightening your lever cap down a little bit. Um, You don't want to have to, you know, really muscle the lever cap in place, but maybe uh, probably no more than a quarter of a turn with the the screw, the post there. Drive like an eighth of a turn and tighten it down and see if that helps a little bit. Um, If you can look, when you put the cap iron against the back of the iron, you can look at it, you can't really see any daylight in here. There's no nicks or anything like that. Um, You really, that shouldn't clog up. Um, it's probably the blade itself flexing in use, which, um, you'd be surprised how much that happens. Um, so don't worry so much about the chip breaker and think about, you know, swapping out for a, you know, a new Hawk blade, which is going to flex a lot less. Um, those, those older thinner blades, you know, Lord knows, um, <laughs> how much abuse that thing has seen over the years. <laughs> cool. That's what I would recommend, you know, and again, I don't know where it's clogging, you know, if it's clogging only in one spot, time and time again, then maybe there's an issue there. It's clogging right at the corners. I don't know, but I'd be willing to bet you it's it's more. A flexure issue. I don't know if that's a word or not, but it sounded cool. A
2: flexuization issue. (laughs)
1: A (laughs) flexuization.
2: All right. Uh, Next one we have here is from John. He says, I'm in the process of moving from Omaha, Nebraska to Buffalo, New York. A moving company is going to pack everything up, including my shop, and move it into a storage uh, place for the next couple of months until I can move into the house. I have a grizzly bandsaw, and I'm wondering if I should leave the blade on the saw. I planned on removing the blade, fence, etc., but I'm not sure about the blade. It seems like the blade would add some additional support given the basic C shape of the saw. If I did leave it on, I'd probably leave it detentioned with the blade guard down and any exposed parts taped off and protected so the moving guys don't catch anything or themselves on it. I called Grizzly. When I asked the question, the technical support said, uh, and yes, this is a direct quote, wow, that's a good question. <laughs> After he- it was a good question <laughs> well, I mean a good question is a good question. It's calling a spade a spade there but um, after hemming and hauling for about 10 minutes, the technician told me to take it off and then he told me to leave it on. He admitted that he didn't know <laughs> That's awesome
1: <laughs> That's good. I'm glad that he did that
2: right so good that he admitted that so I've moved some tools in my time and uh, you know the way, one of the things that I try to keep in mind is how these things were shipped to me in the first place. Um, because typically the manufacturer is going to ship it in a way that is stable for a good long amount of time and a pretty rough ride. So in his case, you know, it is a pretty good move. It's and he's going to have to kind of let it sit there for a while without actually being able to unpack it. So I would say get this thing as as ready to go for long term storage as possible. And to me, that means removing that blade. I don't think the blade is going to really provide anything in the way of structural support for the unit. I and I think having the moving guys just for liability reasons you don't want that blade on there at all because you'd be surprised how many of them might grab that blade and think that they could pick the saw up that way (laughs) you know Um, like anything that looks like a handhold they might try Um, even with tape that that could be bad news Uh, it's also bad for the blade you know because something could very well come into contact with it Um, I know when I moved things I was stacking stuff on top of other things and any horizontal table was game for something to get put on top of it. And if you've got a blade there, even if you've got it protected to some extent, that's not going to stop something heavy from bending it and kinking the blade. So um, I would recommend, and I'm surprised Grizzly customer service doesn't, well I guess if the person was just reading from a manual and answering questions, this <laughs> probably say, wasn't this is in the level manual. one help desk
1: here. Yeah, exactly. You
2: know? uh, but anybody, I think most woodworkers would probably agree that it's, it's a safer bet to get that blade for the blade and the saw um and the moving guys, get that blade off of there, pack it up, roll it up, um and then uh you know the the bandsaw should be pretty much ready to go as is. Just make sure you know the handles are all kind of tightened up and uh, there's no loose parts or anything like that.
1: You should be good. I don't know, I don't know what model grizzly he has, but I know on my old 14-inch, I would want to take the blade guard out too. It's mm. a post that, mm. you know, would would slide out really easily, but I could just see that getting bent.
2: Sure, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, if you could slide that. Well, that's the thing. With any of these moves, if if there are parts that you can remove, it not only makes it lighter, but they're less likely. And trust me, these guys will grab any damn thing they can get their hands on.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking is, oh, well, that's a good handle. Yeah, You exactly. know, tip it back on its back, Yep, you know, no. and pick it up by the handle and I could just see that thing bending or if nothing else, providing a lot of leverage to bend the frame itself. Yeah. You know, open up that C-shape <laughs> with that. So, I yeah, I'd move that out of there.
2: The handle on my planer was either hit against something or someone picked it up by the handle and the post, as you kind of raise and lower um, the thing, the handle itself is bent. So now when I move it up and down, it just kind of is like this, it's not a smooth motion, it's just kind of wobbly because <laughs> it's not it's not on a straight uh, post, it's on a bent post. So that's wonderful. So yeah, take anything off that you can. Uh, all right, Matt. Sweet. Well, this one comes in
3: from Joe and Joe says, or Joe asks, I never wear... A dust mask. Maybe I should, but I watch videos of top furniture makers wearing them on camera at the table saw, bandsaw, etc. Not sure if they wear them off camera, but after the cut is complete, they take them off. Isn't the fine particles of dust still floating <laughs> in the air? I mean, it's not like you shut down the table saw and dust collector. Off the dust particles evaporate, or am I missing something? Well, <laughs> Joe, you're you're not. You're right. The, in fact, uh, if anything, it seems like the dust particles we'd be most concerned about the super fine ones that you don't want trapped in the uh, uh, the the lung sac areas, the various alveolar thingies. Uh, you don't want those trapped <laughs> in there. But you know, for myself. Uh, I, I got a comment a while ago about the fact that i had a dust collector on while wearing a mask at the bandsaw uh for me i i do prefer having the mask on just because i do have allergies and i prefer to being able to breathe at night it's 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 a benefit that i i find that improves my life uh but overall i think for me the the big thing and maybe these these particular woodworkers uh wearing the dust mask using these big tools even with adequate dust collection they're still a decent amount of sawdust that still kind of gets thrown at you, and it's those bigger ones that I hate blowing out of my nose at the end of uh, making any cuts. So as for that fine particles, yes, they are still floating around, and I don't think you're missing much on that one because I do find myself actually thinking once in a while, like, could you could you avoid it or maybe you walked away before you took that mask off? <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> well,
2: I think the thing to remember is a lot of these videos that he might be watching or DVDs, a couple of things are going on. I think in a lot of shops, especially old school, you know, guys have been doing this for a long time, they may not actually even wear dust masks. If Yeah,
3: yeah they probably don't.
2: <laughs> yeah, so what happens is, fine, woodworking comes along or whoever comes along to film in their shop and now they have to because they don't want to deal with the fallout of, you know, God forbid, not wearing any safety equipment and putting a video out. Um, so they have to. So it, the other thing attached to the whole filming process is they don't have time to sit around and wait for the dust to settle or for the, uh, the air cleaner, the scrubber, to get all that airborne dust. They have to film the next section so the dust mask comes off so they can start talking again. So yep. I, I think ultimately he's not missing anything at all except for the fact that this is part of the process of filming these, these people and getting this stuff documented with them. Um, it's just the nature of the beast. But yes, in your own shop, yeah, wear your, your dust mask, especially after a cut when you're walking around breathing. It's it's a good idea to keep that on as long as you know that there's uh, airborne dust in there.
1: Heck yeah, I don't I, know about you I guys. Think but it's, uh, I think it's probably the former. The guys do don't, don't even wear them. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised. I try to tell people this. As much as we push the whole safety aspect um, in the industry and just the few shops that I've worked in, there is a blatant disregard for the type of uh, safety things we consider absolutely essential. Like, number one rule, do this. Um, It's just just the way, because you know what? When you're in business and time is money, you know, stuff just needs to get done, and yeah. a lot of times these uh, these guys aren't worried about that. They're worried about if this job is going to be done in time so they can buy food for their family. Um, it's, well, it's a secondary just, concern. Just,
1: I guess it was last week. We had a new guy start at the mill, and as you know, Monday morning, he's up there. He's got his ear protection in. He's got his dust mask on. And uh, come lunchtime, and I'm walking up to my car and I see him over there running the plane doesn't have his dust mask on. I'm like, hey, what happened to your dust mask? He's like, oh, they were giving me a hard time about it. So I took it off. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. He didn't even make it halfway through his first day before his safety uh, habit was broken by the old guys at the mill. So oh, at man. least they're wearing hearing protection. I'll give them that much. Cause what? Because you can make yourself think
2: <laughs> up there. <laughs> nice. Uh, who's up now, Shannon? That would be Shannon. Uh, cool.
1: That would be me. Hey, I get the last question. That never happens. This is from somebody. This is from Alan. He says, I am a beginner woodworker who uses mostly hand tools. I'm wondering if you always sand. Can you get away with just hand planes and card scrapers? If you have to sand, what grits do you use after the hand tools? Um, yes, you can get away with just hand planes and card scrapers. But you know, the minute surfaces get complex... It gets a lot harder, you know. If you're building, you know, nothing but shaker furniture with nice flat surfaces everywhere, it's real easy with, with just hand planes to get, you know, a perfect surface. Uh, if you've got maybe some highly figured wood, and you need to come in with a card scraper. Um, it's it's really very easy to do all that. The one thing I'll say with card scrapers is it leaves a different surface than the hand plane surface. So I find that if you're gonna scrape the surface, it's best to scrape the whole surface in order to blend that together. Um, And that is where sanding can be really useful. Um, If you say you've got a little bit of tear out in one section or one kind of weird section on a tabletop that you need to clean up with a card scraper and then it's clean and you're like, well, do I have to scrape the whole surface now? Uh, Sandpaper, and to answer his other question, I wouldn't go any lower than 220 grit, frankly. I'd come in with 220 and kind of blend the, um, I don't even know, the fibers are just kind of pushed differently. They, they reflect a little bit differently where the card scraper is because it's scraped rather than cut. And you can kind of blend that surface into the planed areas. But, um, you know, I, I've told my hand tool school guys this. I've had the same box of 220 sandpaper for like four years now. And I maybe halfway through it. Uh, I haven't needed another grit. Uh, when I get into like, you know, cabrio legs or something like that, that's where the sandpaper will tend to come out. But even then, you know going over with a file uh, can really clean up a lot. I, I find that the sandpaper itself is more blending surfaces rather than actually smoothing them mm. and making them finish ready.
2: It's good to know. Because, you know, you hear ab- about a lot of people who like this is one of the great things about hand tools. You don't need to sand. But quite right. often, a lot of hand tool guys are sanding a- as a final step. And, like you said, it's not, they're not doing a whole lot of work with it. It's just right. kind of like that final, I don't know, yeah, it's, rubbing it's the it's carbon in the I guarantee
1: here. you that's what they're doing. Well, and it requires pre planning, yeah. you know? Um, you- if you didn't think to plane that leg before you assembled it and put the top on, you're kind of screwed, you know, yeah. you can't plane that. So you, you have to, you know, and, and to me it, it works well because you can kind of work one piece and then finish plane it and set it aside mm-hmm. and and you're good to go, you know? And then, um, you know, if you've used calls and things like that, so you're not dinging it up while you're clamping it, uh, you're usually, pretty good. But if you didn't think that and didn't plan that far ahead, then it could be a little bit difficult. Um, If you have a reveal between your apron and your leg on a table, you you can't plane the whole thing now because the the reveal's in the way. So you do have to think ahead a little bit. But for the most part, there's no reason you can't. And the little bonus here, if you've planed the surface, the grain doesn't raise when you put water-based finish on it Hmm. because you haven't abraded the surface. You've cleanly sliced the surface. And it's the abrasions, the little slashes essentially across the grain that cause the little fuzzies to stand up when you put water on it. Um, And grain does not raise when you use a hand plane.
2: Right. Very cool. Very nice. All right. Well, you can leave us an iTunes review if you want to. Do you guys know you can do that?
3: No. I've been trying to go in But they
2: keep catching On my aliases They won't let you in They're Like look Once is enough guy Alright Enough yeah. thumbs up um, Okay if you want to Leave us a review in iTunes You can do that Just look us up In the iTunes store Click on ratings and reviews And you can ask Shannon If he'll bake you A batch of his special Cupcakes the next time You have an owie <laughs> That's weird. Will you? I heard he did that For his wife I was like oh That's it, so nice did
1: Indeed <laughs> Yes with black forest frosting Hey yo Nice
2: Nice really all right, we'd also like to thank Lumber Junkie, who had this to say. Good job, guys. Enjoy the show. P.S. I'd love to hear about working with green logs for making thingamabobs and those other things. I just got my first draw knife and I'm tired of trying to figure out how to fit a kiln in my backyard. Huh. So, Shannon, do get it. on that, okay? Don't yeah, do it. I, I would, don't do it.
3: <laughs> I would like to more know more about thingamabobs. Thingamabobs are great. We're opening a store called Thingamabobs and Matt.
1: <laughs> you know, if, if, if I can, go and. Go and find a copy of Green Woodworking. Um, it's what it's called, Green Woodworking. Look it up on Amazon. Great book for learning that stuff. So well, there we
2: go. Cool. All right. Well, remember today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com. And it's also sort of sponsored by folks who give us uh, recurring donations and one-time donations. That always helps out a lot. Go to woodtalkshow.com. Look on the left-hand column, and you'll see a couple of links for the recurring donations: two bucks, five bucks, whatever you want to do. And uh, we always appreciate that support. And Matt, how about you giving the contact info, and we'll get out of here.
3: All right, folks. Hey, if you have a comment, a question, or maybe a topic suggestion, you know, there's several different ways that you can contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. You can email us at WoodTalkOnline at gmail.com, or you can even leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's shows or uh, previous episodes, you can find those over at WoodTalkShow.com where you'll find the episode and the show note and you can even leave a comment there which we usually don't answer questions from that one because i don't like to (laughs) we're
2: lazy (laughs) maybe uh all right well thanks for listening everybody and we'll catch you next time see ya ya. Mm. this podcast is part of the frog pants studios network for more information about this and other shows visit frogpants.com Audio program so good, it's like
0: you're there! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh
1: Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com
0: style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape.